Hey, so welcome everybody. Uh, and today is my great pleasure to welcome my guest, Jason Randall, the CEO of Questco. So uh, how are you doing? Good day. I was, I was like, good afternoon, tip it off. So nobody will know the time of day. It'll just be anonymous. So good day. Just between us, Pat. But yeah, it, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So so glad to be talking with you. And, you know, it's just fortuitous. Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, I ran into Wendy Katz and she was like, hey, we love the podcast. What about Jason? I was like, would he do it? You know, she's like, yeah. Yeah, he'd do it. So it's like, great. This is this is good. So I really appreciate you making the time. I, I realize you got a full-time job, but I appreciate you taking the time away to do this with us. The highlight of my day, for sure. Well, that tells you what kind of day you're having, <laughs> right? Exactly. Okay, so uh, if you've listened to these before, you know we start at the beginning, right? We do the Jason Randall story, and then we do the Jason Randall and the PEO story. So where's the Jason Randall story begin? Uh, well, I'll limit this to not be too indulgent, but it's a complex story, Pat. And I could I could spin a version of this where I was created from a lab to uh, <laughs> to be, work in PEO. But I can promise you, it, 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 my lived experience was far more uh, random and, and happenstance and so on. Uh, but I, I was born in St. Louis. Oh, wow. And the first job out of school was a CPA. And uh, even then, I, I was okay at it, but I always gravitated toward the uh, more enterprising entrepreneurial activities, which wasn't that valued as a junior member of a big four firm, right? So right. I wanted to do the the recruiting, the client lunches, and, and less about the the ticking and tying that was actually my job, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, great firm. Not not the right firm for me. And so uh, from there, I, I followed some entrepreneurial passions, had a couple of, of businesses, some franchise businesses. Um, and then even in those, did okay, but I felt a little underscaled mm-hmm. and a little lack of knowledge. So I went back, uh, did well in school, had good test uh, scores and so on. Well, well, by the way, let me go back. So where'd you go to undergrad? Uh, undergrad at University of Missouri. Go Tigers. Okay. Okay, great. And uh, then I got a got a fancy MBA at Northwestern, right? And and from there, I thought my trajectory would be more large companies. Yeah. I, I actually right out of right out of there, I, I worked for uh, some some fancy consultancies mm-hmm. and uh, some some yeah, family fancy, like BCG, right? Yeah, you know, the initials are fancy, and and the yeah. experience was was uh, was phenomenal. It really developed a, a wonderful skill set, and uh, you know the the trite expression "drinking through a fire hose." Well, well, certainly in consulting, you you, you get much professional spirit experience in a very limited amount of time. That's probably yeah. the greatest benefit I could recognize all these years later, aside from killer PowerPoint skills. Right, so <laughs> you, you put those together, and there's probably some value in there somewhere. Yeah, uh, but but some some family things brought me back to St. Louis. I worked for a company called Merits, which uh, uh, is a large private company in the uh, human motivation space. So incentive travel, non cash incentives, which is a part of the HR stack that our industry doesn't really address that much. Yeah. We're kind of oblique to it. Yeah, but but it rhymes in how we regard people, how we talk about motivation and interest, and 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 what really makes an employee. Engaged so that there's actually a fair amount of overlap. People that once worked in that space work in PEO and so on, um, and that was really wonderful. Was given just a wonderful carte blanche to do all sorts of interesting things and worked in the in the in a marketing capacity. So I had finance, operations, uh, marketing, and then uh, something really life changing and interesting happened. My my I was a nepo baby in reverse. My younger brother. At a very very fast growing company in the internet space, and and Pat, I already sound like a dinosaur, right? Because I'm talking about things that aren't even 20 years old, but the terms are sort of so. Back in the dot com era, yeah, it was possible for companies without an established brand spend to be found and to do very well commercially in that. And and our company was one of those in the online event space. 
Um, so he, he had a marketing intervention that needed a business built around it. And it, how, how's this for a business challenge? 10 times the business was coming in that we could reliably serve on any given day. So to, to, to join a company as CEO with that as the fundamental challenge, it's, yeah. a, it's a, both a pleasure and a pressure because yeah. this business grew. We think our industry grows fast and some measure, by some measures it might. Yeah. But I can tell you, a company grows 10 times its size year over year for several years. That presents some fundamental operating challenges. Yeah, that's sort of the classic good news, bad news, right? Uh, exactly. The, the the problems that some abundance causes and the, the pressures and the problems from that. And that actually what, is what led me to PEO, which is one of the first decisions I met I made when joining my brother's company is, hey, we need to compete for top-notch talent. We need to professionalize our workforce. Yeah. We need to be able to compete and scale and deliver yeah. all that's possible. And we need a good partner how many to do employee, it. How many employees, Jason, about that point? At that point, about 30. Okay, okay, perfect. Yeah. So really, like right in the wheelhouse for, for PEO. And, that, that, and I credit a PEO literally for changing my life because it set that business on a trajectory that offered a phenomenal exit, wonderful outcomes for everybody. And then after that, Pat, my brother, um, he essentially retired in his early 30s, which is not a bad thing to do. He moved to Boulder and he's a... Um, he's a distance athlete, so he, he does uh, ultra marathons. And shout out for him for for that marathon lifestyle. But I wanted my own marathon, right? I still had some some gas in the tank. Um, I did some consulting, uh, some marketing consulting, some financial consulting. Um, and then one day, uh, my my longtime friend Michael Berger, who's at Insperity, has been there for years, um, gave me a call and said, "Hey, you were always an evangelist for this space. You you love this product." Um, we're doing some interesting things on the middle market side. Would you come join us and uh, help commercialize part of that effort? So mm -hmm. I was a part of that organization for several years, uh, running sales team and generally helping move forward the concept of marketing PEO and selling PEO to larger clients, mm -hmm. which yeah, you've been in this industry a couple of days, Pat. You know, I, there, there might not be a tougher complex sale than the PEO sale to a large sophisticated entity, but that was my stock in trade. And it really did developed a, a wonderful skill set about how to talk to the business to even the most sophisticated demanding buyer. Yeah. So let me ask you, so what is it? What's the sales pitch to go to a big company? You did it a bazillion times there. And since, what is it? What, 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 what hooks them? Well, fundamentally, there's a lot of asking. There, there is no one pitch because mm -hmm. there, all of our clients, are unique, but certainly on the large size, you're looking for a niche need, a, a, something to drive on. Maybe they don't they don't value the internal build of that. Maybe they, they're under a, a time of flux and really want an interim solution to move from A to B. Or maybe there's a skill set that they value externally that they might have a hard time accessing internally. So there is no one size fits all play. And that kind of discipline to develop the the bespoke, unique conversation helps even on the on the wheelhouse business too. It, it gets you more attuned to what each individual prospect might be going for. Yep, it's interesting. And and I've said this before uh, on the podcast, someone outside the industry asked me, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks or a month ago, you know, so you know, what do your salespeople lead with? And, and, you know, is it healthcare? Is it workers comp? And I said, I think, and I just want to check your reality on this or check reality on this. I said, I think they lead with like, how are you and what keeps you awake? I think, or, I mean, did you find that too? I mean, when you walk in, do you want to know, you want to hear from them first, I would assume, right? 
I, absolutely. I, I think, certainly, first of all, there are a lot of ways to succeed in this business. I don't want to say that my approach would be the only approach, but I would say is a consultative sale starts with the consultative part, right? You need to be asking the questions, understanding the things to talk about that are relevant. I don't believe this is fundamentally a product that can be hard sold. It's yeah. not to be convincing. It's, a, it's to be uncovering, explaining, and, and causing that prospect to really reveal their own values inside of what we do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so so during the insperity years, uh, growth in the company, presumably, and by the way, when you talk about evangelists, there aren't many people who are bigger evangelists than Paul Sarvati in this industry, right? Sure. Uh, so what, uh, did you see growth during that time? How many years were you there? I was there for about four years. And okay. uh, it was, a, so company was doing well, generally, certainly the middle market product was was doing well and getting increased acceptance. And, uh, you know, really, I guess to, to detour, I'm, I'm very grateful for both that organization and others that really ele continually elevate the professionalism of our industry. I think that's a highly, highly important thing. And I think it helps all of us every day. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, I had a, a phenomenal opportunity to join Quesco and to build something special with regard to my own vision. Mm -hmm. And our team's vision, and so on. And so, it was a uh, when I was recruited by a private equity firm to come mm -hmm. in. It was really, uh, even though I was very content where I was, this really offered something special. And I uh, seized on the opportunity and haven't looked back. It's great. I, it's great. And I want to get to the Questco move in just a second. But I'm really fascinated by the sales process, and always, always have been. Right. So uh, I'll ask a third rail question. I, there, it seems to me that the moth to the porch light is going after existing clients and selling a better mousetrap, right? So what did you do and where did you locate, where did you find prospects and, and how did you, how, presumably you re, tried to resist that urge to just sell somebody else. Mark Perlberg always says people who come on price, leave on price, right? So yeah, what's, uh, were you selling PEO clients or non-PEO clients and where'd you find them? I, we we believe we still believe that both PEO takeaways and what we would call multi-vendor are, are both really important for growth. In the case of somebody that's already with a, an outsourced HR provider, relationships can change over time. Um, I, I take a very, very dim view of selling primarily on price because not only will they leave on price, but they're unlikely to value the totality of the comprehensive service offering that's provided. But that said, there, the sales cycle can be quicker, the dimensions more definable. And so that, that can be good business for a PEO and certainly has been for us. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's a lot to be said for expanding that pie, either from a, an adjacent industry like tech only or someone that's just figuring it out on their own. And so we believe all of those are important to our growth. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that that's that's important to say and for everybody to hear uh, because everybody grapples with that. Right. In terms of sales and what's what's the best what's what's the best model. And do you use brokers or you use uh, direct sales now at, uh, at Questcom? We actually invest heavily in both because we believe both are excellent channels. You probably hear this a lot that we have an open mindedness toward both our go to market strategy and our business operating philosophy. And one of the ways is within sales, we think that there's a, a really robust broker community, whether we're talking about those that are, broker means a lot of different things, right, Pat? So there, yeah, yeah, yeah. there are those that that are outsourced sales, PO sales forces, great relationships there. They're sort of referring partners, whether they're CPAs or insurance brokers. Again, trusted advisors make for wonderful referral partners. We yeah. embrace that. And I would say the 
bedrock of our organic growth plan is our own proprietary sales organization, mm -hmm. because through that, we can manage it more directly. We can understand our ratios. It's just more predictable. It really sort of fractal. Like I, I know if we, if we build a sales operating productive unit in a certain way, we can expect a certain amount of production and we can replicate that over time and build something both credible and sustainable. Yep. So it, it's all important. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you arrive on the planet uh, Questco. Uh, what did you find and what did you do first? What an interesting question. And I, I, I should say, I, I wrote a book uh, published through Forbes that goes over my first day in some detail because it was such a, a vivid memory. February, February 2nd, 2018, uh, really, I addressed the room. We had a, a I call it at the time we had a headquarters uh, that was on the wrong side of the tracks that didn't quite have a good side, right? Uh, so there wasn't quite a room big enough to fit everyone in. At that point, the sense that most people were in a suburb of, of Houston called Conroe. Um, that, that was virtually the entire company, but the room was too small to hold them. But really, I just promised them several things. That really started with authenticity, and that comes through in everything that we do still at Westco today. So, so some of the, you know, authenticity and, and energy and urgency. And, and really, let's just move forward together because uh, Questco was a company that, you know, railroad tax jokes aside, had some good bones to it, right? A, a good good work ethic, solid people, but perhaps not all the tools they would have needed to succeed in the contemporary environment we were going for. And so I, I was here not to be a threat, but to be an, a change agent and to help through. And basically the message, Pat, what did I do first? Ask them to give me a chance, hear me out and listen. And some even did it. And <laughs> what a concept, right? right. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, to be honest, like, I'm coming into that room thinking, am mm -hmm. I going to get fired? Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, is there people, of course, are, are inherently resistant to change. And that team at that moment in time, it had several owners over the past few years, several leaders. There was a lot of change already inherent. And, and honestly, one of the things I encountered um, was people were just exhausted by the concept of change. And some left I couldn't take it personally. I didn't have time to take it personally. It's like, you know what? We're, we tapped out. And in fact, Pat, at that moment in time, mm -hmm. no, those few months when somebody would say, Jason, you know, I love this company. I do anything for it. I knew the next thing that would be uh, delivered to me was a resignation, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll do anything for it, but work here one day longer for you. <laughs> but, you know, that aside, that to me was... Um, not a time I necessarily love to repeat, but I can certainly appreciate what I brought in terms of, hey, being a change agent means not everybody's on board with that. And that is absolutely okay. That's a part of the process. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I've learned is that uh, I read a federal agency is like, come on, everybody, you know, not just, I, I guess this goes to the change agent. Like, this is yours and, you know, you can help run this place. And, you know, and I discovered through that that there's a percentage of people that, they don't want to run the place. They don't want to be a change agent. They want to just come do their job and go home. Did you find that? Absolutely. Well, you're, I want stability. The one thing you're not giving me right now is stability. Yeah. I, this is driving me nuts. Yeah. What What is wrong with, you know, so for that that teammate, absolutely. Make the right decision for them. And yep. and and many did move on. Yep. Yep. So uh, how many worksite employees when you arrived? Oh, gosh. Let's, let's call it roughly 12,000. Okay. Okay. And today? Uh, about 30,000. Yeah, so that's some serious growth. But before I get to the growth, by the way, you got to plug the book. So the book is entitled Beyond the Superhero Executive Leadership for the Rest of Us. And this was this was sort of <laughs> star cross path because I finished it. It was set for publishing, call it early spring 2020, right? So a couple of things happened in our world during that time 
that said, well, the entire reason for this book and the promotional efforts behind it sort of changed on the fly and it became actually what I decided to do was record a podcast series instead of the the promotional tour that became logistically impossible at that point. Yeah, yeah. So again, adapting and so on. But the, the point of the book was really aimed at that portion of the PEO uh, constituency that might be elevated to leadership for the first time. And I have had that position, been in that position several times in my life. And I just uh, have developed some, some skills, some mechanisms to both cope and thrive. And like, hey, let me share just some of my experiences, some of the people and some of the advice that helped me along the way. So that when you're elevated, whether it's because you're inheriting a family vi- business, promoted into a position or recruited from the outside to help you get further faster. And, and uh, amidst all of it, keep your sanity and even be happy in the process. <laughs> Keeping the sanity, that, that gets to be the hardest part after a while. <laughs> um, okay, so again, so tell me about the journey from 12,000 to 30,000. That's pretty significant growth. Um, how? Well, it's it's a yes and yes story at Questco. We we very much value organic growth. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean, we building sales districts. And again, we started with... Uh, Four and a half salespeople, right? So we, we had to completely refashion from literally ground zero everything that that, that meant from recruiting to training, uh, coaching and mentoring and, and leadership and everything that is involved in building a, an internal sales infrastructure. We've and, had. And to by do. the way, let me interrupt. Uh, salespeople from inside the industry, or do you hire from outside? Do you train. We do both. We do okay. both. And uh, again, you know, yes and yes, right? right. There's some so there's some good industry hires, and then some people that. Uh, no matter their track record of, success, record of success in a different environment, our environment might not be right for them. Yep. Vice yep. versa, someone that might be, we, we generally ha- hire somebody with sales experience. It would sure, be a, sure. a big lift, but they can, if they're selling something B2B, they can, we can have transferable skills and we, yep. we can train them up and make them, help them succeed. Yep. Okay. So you got the 3.5 or 4.5 salespeople. So what, you built that out or yeah, what'd you do first, second, and third? How do you, how do you get from 10, uh, from 12 to 30,000? Well, first you have to evaluate what's there. And then we, we understood we're going to have to wholesale start from scratch, hire in a new sales leader, report, recruited just an excellent, excellent first sales leader. And I, I would say both my academic training and personal experience says that frontline sales manager might be the most important hire you make, not only in the sales organization, but potentially your entire organization, because that is the productive resource that really enables other things to happen. They're both close to clients and close to leadership. And getting that hire right remains a critical success factor for our organization. So we made that right first hire. Hi, Derek. <laughs> and um, from there, we started to build the the infrastructure around, whether it's training, whether it's, uh, uh, of course, the, the, the talk tracks, uh, the collateral material. We also had to start marketing from scratch and really update some things to reflect the refined sensibility. Because I think it, it's worth mentioning, you know, Quesco had about 30 years of history. And a lot of that was contained to Exurb in Houston, where a lot of the CSAs were signed over the hood of a truck, figuratively, right? These are these are uh, wonderful salt of the earth clients. They remain important to us, but to grow and to realize the vision of the private equity investment, it, it necessarily involved a broadening of that appeal to the gray, white collar, pink collar clientele. And that meant a total overhaul, not only of sales, but of the entire value prop of the organization. So we did a lot of work to get from 12 to where we are now and are still doing it. Yeah. So what was the culture when you arrived and what's the culture now? Is it the same? Has it changed? Oh, it, I, I, I think it's changed pretty uh, dramatically, right? I think when I, again, Solid people, you know, great people uh, with the best interests of clients in mind. Um, but it was a, I would say it was more a confused 
culture, climate than anything else, just had been through sort of a lot. And I'm not sure that if you ask three people in different parts of the buildings, they would give you anything close to the same answer. Yeah. You fast forward. And again, we spend a lot of time on this culture to me is the way that you can scale humanity, right? Is, is, is through a defined culture. And as such, I spend a huge, huge proportion of my time and effort encouraging, nurturing the right culture that supports who we are as a company and the value we provide to our customers and to their people. And that's fundamentally, we are a caregiving organization. And to be that to others, we need to first be that to ourselves. It does start at home with that. So it means it really means something to be a part of Quesco. And that means that you have some technical competence. It means that you have a high degree of empathy and EQ, a, a strong desire to work together toward a common goal. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a large uh, lack of ego that really is a hallmark of our environment. So you, you combine these factors and something really special happens. And that's what I'm perhaps most proud to share with, with the audience today is what we've built culturally at Quesco really sustains the business. Yeah. So that, and that is, is great. And it's such a, a issue near and dear to me. Uh, so a, a relevant question for our times, uh, do you guys work uh, remotely or in the office? And how do you sustain culture if people work remotely? So what, what a million dollar, multi-million dollar question, right? And of course, like any organization of virtually any size, um, we, we've wrestled with this over the years. Yeah. And I would say we were interviewed for PEO Insider in the early days of the pandemic talking about what, what a return to work plan would be, because that was the assumption, right? Pat, you're, you're going to be returning to a physical environment. Of course you are. That's, that's how we've always done it. As pandemic conditions continued for an extended amount of time, we took advantage of that by hiring teammates in city after city after city. And then you look around and we have we have valued teammates in about 30 different cities in the United States. And, that, and so before my, the pandemic, that was what uh, was that? There, there might be the occasional, but really we were clustered around our, our home office and where we might have made an acquisition. And that was it. Right. You went so, virtually from zero to 30. Right. Right. So. What, occur, what became obvious to me is, well, you really have two fundamental choices. It, it is a starker choice as you can imagine. You can either try to undo that yeah. and face those consequences. And as I interpreted it, the consequences would mean an absolute treasure trove of talent would walk out the door or they they stay in their own front door and, and go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Or we really lean into, we embrace the advantages of being a remote first workplace and then solve for the problems and the challenges that that creates. And so we're, we're still learning how to do that. We, we've established groups internally. At Quesco, it's not all about the senior leaders dictating. We, we want our people to be involved in their own success and their own uh, happiness in the workplace. And so there, there are groundswells, there, there are employee resource groups that help us find these answers. And there is no magic bullet. It's, it's being really intentional about it, but we are committed, very committed to staying virtual first. Yeah, that's interesting. And how do you inculcate new employees with the culture? One conversation at a time, right? <laughs> so I, th- I think it starts with an intentional onboarding. And again, I think we can always do better. And any, any question you're asking me, it's like, you know what? We do something, Pat, and we still want to get better. Sure, and this sure. is no exception, right? We we spend a lot of time, a lot of internal emphasis and go, okay, are we onboarding someone the right way? Should we be sending them more of an emphatic goodie bag when they start. You know, what does that need to look like so that their first month experience is as positive and productive as possible? So the bottom line is we think through all those touch points, we talk about how we're going to address them, and then we follow through on that plan. And we try to we try to make everything a system and a, an intentional decision. So it's not just sort of a default practice. Yeah, yeah. And above all else, 
we, we hire for humanity. We hire for empathy. Let them show it. Let them do that. And of course, I, I should mention technology such as the, the video conferencing thing, um, collaborative software like Teams or Slack. These are other things that fill in some gaps to really enable a lot of the best of what what built cohesion in a physical environment. We can do a lot of that virtually. And then what I haven't mentioned uh, very intentionally is on and then on rare occasion, well, let's bring them together when, when that makes sense. Let, let's do that and supplement that. Um, but my basic philosophy is not, well, let's let's bide our time. We don't want to just be biding our time and waiting to bring and orienting around the physical event. Let's make it great every day and use physical events to punctuate that greatness. And so that's what we're working for every single day. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, it's it's again, this this issue is so relevant these days and you know and constant for any leader like yourself and i interviewed burton goldfield a couple of conferences ago and uh it's so funny because he said geez you know when the pandemic hit all my employees are getting poached you know and you know we're in we're in the bay area and people are getting hired by companies and you know new york and boston and miami you know just getting you know pummeled and all of a sudden i realized hey wait a second I can hire people from all those areas, you know, and I think that's right too. I know for me, it was one of those like, oh man, we're, we're done. We're dead in the water. And you realize, wait a second, the whole world has just opened up to me. And it sounds like you guys too, you're hiring from 50 States. Well, certainly the, the anecdote with, with Burton Goldfield, you shared, it shows that thoughtfulness plus adaptation leads to great results. And that's basically what I'm sharing here is that, yes, let's be thoughtful about it. Let's recognize our reality. You know, honestly, Pat, I grew up in an era where this was kind of a foreign concept. It remains to me, somewhat of a foreign concept, yeah. but I know it's the right thing for our people. And so I'm embracing it fully and look forward to how I can get even better. Yeah, that's great. That is great. How, so as part of that, so how many states were you in pre-pandemic and how many today? I uh, don't know exactly pre-pandemic. I, I taught, let's call it pre-acquisition. We were in like a handful of states okay. with, again, most all of our business within Texas. And now we've grown Texas, but most of our business is actually outside of Texas. We've also made several acquisitions and have teammates in so many different states. And honestly, another hidden gem of that is it it enhances diversity of viewpoint, right? That we're getting these different perspectives into our organization. I think that's broadly very helpful to us as we, we're attracting clients nationally. Well, let's serve them nationally too. And that's been a just an absolute boon for our service organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that is great. And, and uh, yeah, and we see that happening across the board, which leads me to the next thing is what is what do you think is the outlook for the industry? Like I'm a shameless homer, right? So right. And, and it's not just my job, it's based on data, but like, uh, yeah, what's, you know, you've been in a lot of different industries and we're drawn to this one. Uh, you're expanding to a lot of different states. What What's the outlook like this year, three years, five years for the PEO industry? So I, I'd love to answer in a soundbite, but I need to give it a little more nuanced yeah, answer yeah, yeah. here, right? Because I'm going to ask you why, not just sure. bright. Okay, well, well tell me why. Like, yeah, so, it's, so it's not bright. Like, we'll flesh it out. Yeah. At the broadest macro level, the, the there's there's still a, a trend toward complexity, whether we're talking about legal compliance or just the the physical complexity of operating in more and more states. That, that that's more technology enabled and and more culturally acceptable. So we're we're gravitating toward complexity. We're also gravitating toward increased technology. In other words, there is there is more challenge to being a small business owner than ever before. Even though we've been saying that for years, it remains nonetheless true. As long as that remains true, 
But why? Why is it more challenging? It, it's more complex. I have to I have to deal with more logistical factors. At the same time, what's expected of me from an HR perspective, I'm, I'm confronted with different things, different sensibilities. I I need to be more, do more. Employee engagement becomes more important. We're we're at a time of of structurally low unemployment. As such, my costs for labor may be increasing. At the same time, the expectations for, for providing an excellent work environment are also increasing. Right. Right. More challenge. More challenge everywhere. You look, there, there's no um, there's no relief valve for this, but PEO PEO is absolutely a relief valve to help relieve burden, mitigate cost, uh, gain compliance, better ensure compliance. So what our industry solves for a living is fundamentally of value, and as such, the macro position of this industry is incredibly bright. Inside of that, I also have to observe <laughs> all this all this burden goes somewhere, and it goes to the PEO. So to, to manage these things. So I think being an operator of a PEO is itself more complex. Uh, you know, Pat, when I first hired a PEO in 2005, I think technology was, uh, you know, okay. And we were in a tech business. We were, we were in Austin competing for tech talent. And I still wasn't that concerned about the PEO's technology. Now it, it's a world of APIs and, and, uh, GL, uh, and GL interfaces and custom reporting and ever increasing demands because the tech players are, are, are driving it in that direction. And that's our world. So I would say for those that, that got into PEO as a lifestyle business, it's becoming harder and harder to maintain the that environment. Uh, it contrasts those that are more growth oriented, that are, that are plow back, plowing back revenue into the investment, I think are doing quite well. And I, that's not to say there aren't many out there at the lifestyle business level that aren't succeeding. They most certainly are. But I think that's getting to be less and less favorable, less attractive as a business over time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And will it continue? Or are we going to hit the wall at some point? Or what? How's that it's, look? It's hard. You, you always you always ask yourself, what's the catalyst for that, right? What, what would the catalyst be for this this trend to reverse? Otherwise, the, the only informed answer it could be is, well, probably not any time in the the foreseeable, right? I, I don't see a time. I can't think of an analog in business where it got less demanding as the industry matured, <laughs> right? That, that that would be an exception that doesn't even come to mind. And, and that would probably prove the rule by itself. So I would say this is our world and it continues to be our world. And again, let's be thoughtful and let's be adaptive and we'll be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I crossed my fingers. I think it's true. And like you, you know, I mean, I've said so many times that I've got a Superman complex that we took a direct hit from the uh, pandemic, which was aimed directly at our space. And we grew, we didn't survive. We grew, right? right? So, you, so you get a little bit, you know, I keep saying a little bit of the Superman complex from this. So, so the flip side of the question is what are the headwinds? You know, what, for, what do you see out there um, with that fat Northwestern MBA and the big brain, what, uh, what's, uh, what's, uh, what do we, all I heard from that is that you called me fat. So I, I'll, <laughs> no, just disagree. Just the anyway, what, what are the headwinds? So again, in the macro picture where we're, our world's getting more complex, where, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. and, and I would say, uh, and due to no small, due to no small part of the industry doing a great job of representing us in an, in a more professional, a more business oriented way. I think our awareness is steadily improving, perhaps not as quickly as we would all like, yeah, sure, but it sure. can use to move in the right, our reputation and our awareness is going in the right direction. Yep. What's against that? Well, I, there are some very, very well-funded alternatives to PEO or ASO that are out there in, in terms of technology. 
Yep. This is not an easy business to run. And uh, going against companies with nine figures, 10 figures of annual investment in software, well, I think that's probably a pretty large uh, constraint on, or it's a governor for us. It will be, it will affect our pricing. It will affect our service offerings and the way in which it's delivered. And I think we have to, of course, acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. It's funny. You know, I always derisively call them HR without the H, right? It's Mm -hmm. just, it's a straight, (laughs) it's a straight technology play. And when you got to call a human and say, Hey, what do I do about such and such? It's like, you know, press three or press four, like you're going to get the automated response, right? So so that does take the human aspect out of out of HR, which is, which is what, what, what we do. But the other thing I was going to say is that complexity is a double-edged sword, right? That the worse it gets, the better it gets, right? That the, the worse it gets for business, the, the, the greater the value prop for a PEO, no? Oh, wait. Absolutely. Can we serve it profitably? That is the question. And you know, our our own cost spaces, of course, are are pressured by the same conditions that affect our clients. But going back to the first, the joke about HR without the age, I think there's a there, embedded in the joke is a really solid point here. In that, you know, every product, every offering, these are large markets. There's a place for everyone within it. Yes. That said, I think it's important to be crisp as a PEO operator. If you're if you're selling, if you're advocating for the industry, well. The decision to go software only is a decision to handle it yourself. And, and, and those companies can make you more efficient. They can make you more knowledgeable, but they can't lift it from your plate and do it by your side. We offer something unique in that respect, which is not only these same sort of software interventions, the benefits they provide, but the additional scale, the additional expertise. And that's really special. And that's really powerful. And that's one of the reasons I'm so proud of our industry. So HR without the H, I'm glad we have both letters behind us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. No, no, I agree. Uh, but it does seem that the, the PEOs do bring that that third dimension, right, of, of the, the, the human touch. For a company like yours that cares about EQ, right, and, and cares about that, you know, uh, the software takes a lot of that out, right? And, and, yes. and, and it is what your clients need more often than than not, it's, it seems to me, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure yep. you mention it all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what's your advice to somebody new to the industry, right? You were new to the industry at one point. What do you wish you knew? And what would you tell somebody who's new to the industry? So somebody could be a, a new employee, say for a PEO or someone like that. In that context, I say there, there's a wealth of knowledge, both within your, your company and outside of it. I would suggest Napio, and I just have to say, Pat, and you didn't even pay me all that much to say this, but um, I, I've been around a number of trade organizations, and I think the combination of the advocacy and, and the pure elevation of industry that's provided by Napio and your leadership is exceptional. And so to that new employee, I would say, take advantage of the resources our industry has to offer. They, they are vast and they are deep. Uh, likewise, we have an industry that peculiarly uh, a lot of us will actually help each other. And so there are a lot of, in addition to the the content, there are a lot of human beings that can aid you on your journey as a new employee. Um, beyond that, um, there can be people that aren't employees. So let's say you're a new market entrant as a PEO. I think one of the things that maybe this conversation implies is um, be certain for your reasons to get into the business and the specific value proposition you bring, because this is not an industry that that lacks uh, players, right? We have several hundred players. And I, I, to my earlier comments, I don't think this is as attractive a lifestyle business as it might have been at one point in time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for those that just see, my gosh, it's like a payroll company with fatter margins, <laughs> you will probably dis- be disappointed down the road with that perspective, right? Yeah. So that said, it, it all comes down to, uh, I guess, some 
fundamentally common sense business advice, right? Be really crisp as to why you want to enter uh, and, and what you offer to the communities you're trying to serve. Yeah. Hire great, great people around you that share your vision and your your ethos toward other human beings. And you know what? You might just succeed. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, the, the, the unthinkable may happen, you know? So I want to get back to the, the new entrance we were talking about just a minute ago is to show you what an optimist I am. I just want to riff on the point that you made that, that I, I see it uh, with all these new entrants that they are bringing more and more attention to outsourced HR, right? So, hey, please outsource your HR. To your point, they have like a bazillion dollars to spend, right? And so- it raises the visibility of outsourced HR that hopefully gets people into a conversation of which brand of outsourced HR do I want? You see what I mean? And I know that's an optimistic view, but it's like when cars first happened upon the scene, it's like, okay, well, I guess I better get a car. And the more the Ford and General Motors and Chrysler advertised in those days, then the more it made people think, gee, I better go buy a car. And then it was only a question of what kind you buy, right? So sure. is that overly optimistic? Or do you think the, the level of outsourced HR is getting on people's screens more? Or do you find that as you make your way around? Interesting question, Pat. Obviously, your perspective dwarfs my interest, just the breadth of the industry that you're seeing. You know, I, I met you for the first time in early 2018. We were behind the glass of a focus group in Houston. Yep. Um, and at that time, I was blown away, even though there's a there's a major publicly traded PEO with its name on the outfield of the wall of MLB Stadium down, down the street from where we were holding the focus group, unaided, virtually none of these high potential wheelhouse targets could name a single PEO anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an eye opener. I remember for me, that. Right? That was a hilarious moment. Yeah, an ironic moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe we have some upside here to our <laughs> to our strategy, right? So you fast forward a few years. I do think that is evolving. I don't think it's sea change. I think with every happy, satisfied client, some that might have benefited from the pandemic infrastructure and expertise that PEOs may have brought, others that just had a, a good outcome from a, a, a trusted advisor or a buddy of theirs, I think the word continues to spread because fundamentally we do good work out there and we have a, a, a legitimate social good. And that's that can only I, I in that regard pat i think we're, we share the same optimistic lens that yeah this is good and i think the the word continues to spread um i think because it's hard to talk about you, you can't you know everything's a long story and that always makes it harder to make a message go viral and ours is of course no different there that if boy if we'd only find a way to say hey got it handled you know uh, hr in a box you know something that just catches on like that i think we could probably drive that i'll keep some of these thoughts to myself but the general th thinking is <laughs> You know what? There's a lot more we could do, but I am very heartened by because we have so many high quality players in this industry. Yeah, that's good. And I, I should say, you know, to the to the point you mentioned about new entrants. While in an, in an individual deal, is there anything more annoying than competition? But right. one of the ways this industry has changed is now there's competition in almost every deal. Yeah. And so I'm glad that in, that increasingly the professionalism of the competitive set continues yeah. to increase. It's not just coming in and polluting price on a deal, blowing yeah. up a medical plan and disappearing in a couple of years. Yep. I think several of us have, have seen that happen in the landscape. Yep. I, I am heartened by the, the number of high quality competitors. It makes us all better. Yep. And again, for those that want to hang in there, I think there's a really bright future. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You just alluded to something too, which which I've glommed onto, which is is that, uh, you know, that we do good. We do good, right? And you know, because uh, you're, you're out there on front lines every day hiring people, right? And that the next generation 
wants to be about something bigger than themselves. They want to be about a cause, right? And I tell new folks here, uh, you know, before we hire them, like, we saved a couple hundred thousand small businesses during the pandemic. If you want to be about something bigger than that, go work for the Red Cross, right? But <laughs> I feel like, like, and you alluded to it, so you must feel it, that we we do good for business. Like Paul Sarvati always talks about, like, we're building stronger communities. I was like, wow, that's that's so outside. Like, we're an outs- HR outsourcing company. You know, he sure. always talks about, like, you know, building strong communities. It, it, you know, it's, it's something mm-hmm. bigger than ourselves. And I guess you you see that too, and probably put it in practice. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Um, we we don't need to necessarily ascend to the loftiest celestial heights to say that. Look, what we do not only benefits communities, but it benefits these organizations and those that they serve fundamentally. The the magnitude of success, the likelihood of success, and the time frame to success, they can all be positively affected by what we do every day, because fundamentally, we are handling things on behalf of that business owner. When we're doing our job very, very well, they can sleep better at night. They can they can be better partners to their spouses. They can be better bosses. These are, these are real things. I didn't mean to get this mushy on this call, Pat, but when you, when you really step back and think about it, yes, we, we are doing legitimate good in the world. So for the this is not about slinging payroll and benefits. We 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 offer a comprehensive service that goes much more deeply into that owner's psyche and into their wallet. And I think as such, we can be very very proud of the services we provide. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and it really is a great been part of this industry. Uh, I promise you, I want to get back to the book, and I do. So were you just looking to kill time? You had like just tons of time on your hands, and figured, gee, I'll write a book because that looks like that's going to be easy. <laughs> so yeah, what, there's, there's what, nothing what, fun, more fun and easy than writing a book, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what led you to it, and and what are the what are the core principles of the book? So fundamentally, I was interested in sharing a viewpoint that I didn't see. Uh, reflected in a lot of the popular business press. Um, it's, it's never true that perhaps this moment in time that I, I can name names of very large organizations and a name and a face of a person come to mind as well. You know, XYZ company is only, or X company is, is solely due to, <laughs> to one person. And sometimes, that, sometimes that's, uh, unfortunately, could even be true. But but the bottom line is, that's generally not true. That, that when we as leaders, and again, the audience of this book is, is for those that are ascending to leadership for the first time, when we internalize and put all that on our shoulders, we're doing ourselves and our organizations a disservice relative to really relying a team, building something scalable, and, and having a mindset towards sharing both the responsibility and the, the pleasantness, the accomplishment of building something special together. And so that's what the book really unpacks is um, don't beyond the superhero means, hey, you know, superheroes are fictional and they're fictional for a reason, because you don't, you neither want nor need one person to do it all. Let's do it all together. We'll get farther, faster and achieve something, you know, beyond, beyond our wildest superhero fantasies in that regard. And that, that's why I did it is that um, I thought that was a perspective that I just hadn't seen. And I th- thought it might be helpful to potential clients and to current clients. And so here we are. And what are the key takeaways? Oh gosh, Pat, you're asking me to study my own material this many years. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> did you read it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> gosh, yeah, it's been a while, right? <laughs> Above else, it's it, uh, probably not time in this talk to really unpack this fully. But I would say that the main thing is to truly understand what you're good at, to mm. to methodically build a team, to have a mindset towards sharing the responsibilities. Yep. Uh, that that are inherent in leadership. Yep. And also sharing the credit. 
right? And then there's some some cognitive things that I've learned along the ways to really make that easier, right? So because this thing is, oh my gosh, if I don't do it myself, it's going to suck or it all falls apart without me. Well, you know, there's there's a world of research out there that says, well, not only is that not the case, but if you operate that way, you're you're going to achieve less than you would had you built an organization around you. So, well, how you how do you do that? So these are some of the things we we unpack and really say, hey, if you follow some of these principles, you can be a more effective leader and be much happier in the process. Yeah, that's great. What what a concept, right? What a concept. So, who were your biggest influences outside the industry and inside the industry? Oh gosh, what an interesting question. Um, I, I have to start with my father, who was uh, no business mind whatsoever. He, he, my late father was a was a psychotherapist. And I think from there, I really learned. Uh, I, I I had a great role model for empathy and for active listening and for um, the value of, of spoken communication. So it's never been a problem for me to feel comfortable ver- verbalizing my thoughts. So I think mm-hmm. it, it, I think it starts there, and uh, being put on the spot to name a person probably um, doesn't do it a service because I'll un- undoubtedly forget all sorts of people. Um, but what I would say is there have been literally hundreds of people that have, whether it's for a, an encounter or for an extended period of time, that have made a profound difference in my life and my leadership style. And I think maybe the most important takeaway is that I, I really look to interactions to inspire and to learn from. And I, I encourage everyone to do that. Um, people I've met once have said, you know what, that's a that's a really good point. I really like the way this person handled a complaint or, or handled a disagreement or or handled an opportunity. And I uh, so I guess I'll dodge the question by saying <laughs> there there are I, I guess I pride myself on having uh, an open mind and a whole lot of influences. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Plus, you don't want to stick anybody with the blame. That's the thing. That's the most important <laughs> thing. It's the liability, right? <laughs> okay, so my favorite question, last question, always is: tell us something people don't know about you. And I've, I've got something to add, but let's see whether your answer matches mine. I doubt that our answers will match, but now you got me curious. But Pat, I, I mentioned that earlier in my career, I was involved with some some businesses, um, and one of those businesses was actually a gourmet pizza restaurant, and. Um, well, I have nothing in my background and nothing in my profile that suggests that I'm a good cook. And I'm not sure I am in many contexts, even by your refined New Jersey palate standards, <laughs> I, I can make an absolutely outstanding pizza. That's impressive. Hey, would, would the customers say that as well? Or is this just a self-proclaimed? I, I guess the, uh, my wife actually has, for one of my birthday parties, my wife decided, well, a great thing would be for Jason to make pizza for our guests because they're just that good, which... <laughs> Great thought, but the execution with me slaving away backstage, you know, all this time, you know, doing all that effort, that that was something I uh, didn't appreciate as much. But I guess I do have some independent uh, verification. And uh, I don't know how I could prove that, right? But yeah, let's right. just say if, if you and I in a pizza oven are all, ever in the same place, let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking that would be the next thing for the uh, all-employee get-together at Questco with the caveat that you just won't be there. You're going to be in the kitchen the whole time. But exactly. Turn pizza. That actually was the thing. That that's you know. So I, oh, really? I, I you know looked at all the stuff online, and I, you know I know about you and read about you and stuff. And I figured like you know what, like this whole fantastic career, I don't care. The guy made pizzas. I, I got it. This is important. They this is he had an impact on the world. He made pizzas. That was the thing that stood out at me about your uh, your brilliant career. So I thought you'd be happy to know that. Way to Pat's heart is through his stomach. You heard it here first. <laughs> Well, it's the New Jersey thing. 
You know, absolutely. That's it. Uh, well, thank you so much, pal. Thanks for being with us today and and uh, and for taking the time to be part of this and for being willing to uh, jump into the chipper here. Uh, so uh, I really do appreciate it and see you at the conference. Hopefully you'll be at the conference. Uh, that's still a little ways off. But uh, Jason Randall, the CEO of Questco and the author of Beyond the Superhero. And I think uh, I won't say we've not heard the last of you. You've not heard the last of us. We've started a next gen group. You know, obviously for the the, or the under 40, I like to say it's for the under 60 or under 70 group. So I can still be part of it under 70. Um, but one of the things that they're really interested in is career development. Like, what do I do next? And how do I get from here to there? So um, you might be an interesting speaker for them to hear, right? As based on the lessons of that book. So we may be coming back to you on that. So just look forward to it. Just stand by. So Jason, thank you so much, pal. I really do appreciate it. And thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much. 